Lord, we do come as your people this morning seeking to know you, to follow you, and to be your people in our day. I pray that we would look at this text, Lord, as we do so, that you would give us new eyes in which to see and new hearts in which to feel and new ears in which to hear. That you would think our thoughts, that my words be yours, that you would bend our wills to your own, and you would take each and every one of our hearts and set them on fire with love for you and for your son, Jesus Christ, for it's in his name we pray. Amen. I grew up in a region of the country where one-third of the school population left every year. Being in the Washington, D.C. area, they were military, political appointments, so you knew some kids were of that stripe. You really just didn't get all that close to them necessarily. Till my senior year, okay, my senior year, along came a full Marine colonel's daughter named Anne, fresh from, what's the, what's the Marine Corps base, John, in Southern California? Camp Pendleton. Pendleton, that's where she was from. And she was, she'd been all over the world, and she was beautiful, she was a California girl, you know, California was their, their stated preference, that was their home. And she never let you forget it. And she was quintessential California, blonde, beautiful, smart. And she just was thoroughly unimpressed with these, what she considered Virginia rednecks. <laughs> thoroughly unimpressed. And we tried to teach her, but she couldn't. And she said, you guys just need to go find yourselves in California. And I said, my dad turned down a job in San Francisco for twice the money because those people are fruity, fruity and nutty, girl. We're not going. <laughs> that was a kind of banter that we had. But she came there her senior year. Can you imagine? You're, you're, you're just every three years going. But that became the cry of my lunchroom table my senior year. Oh, go find yourself. <laughs> go west, young man. Right? Well, what's happening in today's text, just a reminder, was where Jesus has his followers. It's, it's the same text as last week. They haven't gone anywhere. Jesus is here in Caesarea Philippi, where there's all kinds of pagan gods, very few Jews in this region, because he's announced to his disciples who he really is. He's gotten them to self-realize who he is. That was last week's message. Jesus is fully God. Number one. Two, he's creating his church, and you can't be a Christian without the church. It doesn't work. There's no such thing as a solitary Christian. And three, the work that we do in the church, as imperfect as we are, has eternal consequences. It won't be stopped. That's our context. So he goes one step further in today's passage so that his followers may find their way. So I encourage you to open up with me your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16 as the conversation continues. And what we see in this passage is the means for our salvation, the evidence of our salvation, and the value of our salvation. The evidence of our means of our salvation, the evidence of our salvation, and the value of our salvation. Now, when you hear me use that word salvation, what do you think of? You know? 
grace and things like that, but so many people tend to think of heaven, to think of, oh, when we get there, it will be, you know, some, I'll get my cloud, and I'll be, you know, some angels will be flying around with cotton diapers, with streaming, strumming some type of creepy tune on a harp. That doesn't sound like heaven to me. When I use the word salvation in the biblical sense, what it's talking about is not only our eternity in heaven, but it's our, it's our security in, in the present. That you are saved and are being saved by the past work of the cross for you. All right? And when we talk about salvation, you know, Scripture describes heaven as better than anything you can possibly imagine. Paul says in Philippians 1.21, to live is Christ. Meaning the fullness of life, everything I am is, everything I do, everything I am out in this community is the fullness of living in Christ. And to die is gain. That as great as this life is, oh, what I got waiting for me and you in Christ is better than that. That's what Paul means by that. Jesus said to the thief on the cross in Luke 23, 43, Truly I say to you today, you'll be with me in paradise. Now when you think of paradise, what do you think of? Cancun. <laughs> Jamaica. <laughs> Hawaii. My friends, we have the promise because of the resurrection. That paradise for us one day will be better than Cancun, Jamaica, Bora Bora, Hawaii, all put together. And the end of our passage, when Jesus returns, and we all will stand account, and in Christ, there will be a new heaven and a new earth, and we will have a physical existence for eternity. All right? That's what the Christian salvation is all about. All right? So, I want to make sure we understand that as we get into this conversation. And Jesus says, if we're going to achieve that, verse 21, he's going to die. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day, be raised. I know that for some of you, this seems barbaric. Why in the world would God have to kill his son? Isn't that nothing more than cosmic child abuse? Well, since the dawn of time, sin has always cost something. And God, early on, in fulfilling his plan for us, established the shedding, without the shedding of blood, there would be no forgiveness for our sin. Leviticus 17.11 for the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. Now, you might say, well, that's just the Old Testament gene. Well, the book of Hebrews, indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And Jesus is laying forth for his friends who are going to plant the church, 
the good news of his atoning death upon the cross at Calvary so that he can secure our salvation. And Peter does what we all do in some one way or another, right? No, Lord, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But Jesus turns, verse 33, and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan, you're a hindrance to me. If you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Strong words. For Peter, in rejecting the cross, is accepting Satan's agenda. And it's becoming a hindrance to the gospel ministry which Jesus wants to perform. Why? Because he has the things of man on his mind and not the things of God. We do that, don't we? Whenever we rationalize our lifestyle, even though it's opposed to God's word. Whenever we stumble in our walk with the Lord and say, ah, it's all right. Or we simply just reject his plan and say, no, I don't buy it. When we we do any of those things, we're taking on the ways of the world of our own flesh, and yes, of the, even the devil, as Jesus says. Ladies and gentlemen, the means for our salvation is the cross of Jesus Christ. And we can go no further in our walk unless we understand that, and it goes from our head to our heart. Head knowledge never saved anybody. And that's what Jesus is getting to. God and Jesus had to die to secure our salvation for he's the sacrifice once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. And how do you know you've got that? Well, he continues. He doesn't stop there. He goes on to the evidence of such salvation. Verse 24, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Our natural tendency is to affirm ourselves, to concentrate on what serves our own interests, to make our lives as prosperous as we can. And in and of itself, that's not a bad thing, but it's when it becomes our focus and our calling, Jesus has a problem. And what Jesus is calling his followers, his true followers, is to renounce such thinking. It's not easy. How we must concentrate on others and not ourselves. Look at others first. And Jesus is calling us to deny that first impulse. And deny ourselves and look to others. And we do that denial by taking up our cross. You know, it's unfortunate for us 21st century people that the, the word cross is used here because typically our culture says that's just spiritual jargon. To which I want to suggest, come on. Every first time hearer of this word cross would have known that this is the worst possible form of execution. The word excruciating comes from the word cross because it was an excruciating penalty of death. 
And what Jesus is saying here, if you want to be a denying yourself follower of Jesus, if you're going to be my follower, climb the steps to the gallows. Lay down on the gurney to take the, the injection. Stand in front of the firing squad. Hop in that electric chair. In other words, be a dead man walking. That's how you do it. Because when Jesus is calling us to follow him, he call, bids us to come and die to ourselves. You see what he's doing here from last week's message? He's making sure that the foundation is strong for ministry. He's saying, don't go one step further until you understand this. Until you understand Jesus didn't go to the cross so we wouldn't have to. Oh, no. We have to die. Until you understand Jesus went to the cross so our cross would be our discipleship. And our lives show that. Until we understand that the kingdom of God comes this way through Jesus, it will not go that way through us. That the gospel itself will advance in our lives, and it will advance through our lives to other people in the very same way. Until we understand that, Jesus is saying to us, like he's saying to Peter, I don't want you talking on my behalf. Don't call yourself a Christian in this community. It's the essence of Christian immaturity to think Jesus Christ suffered so that I don't have to. In other words, not only will I not experience really bad things, but second, I won't ever really do any bad things. I won't even sin anymore. Yeah, you will. We pick up our cross. Life at times is hard. And he calls us to it. And I will still have my struggles. And Jesus is saying, until we realize that's not true, we're of no use to him. Don't open your mouth. Don't witness. Don't evangelize. You're going to be terrible at it. <laughs> Shut up until you understand this. Do you understand this? Okay. Now, this is the story of Peter's mistake. Because out of that, because out of that, he turns around and says, now let me tell you what real maturity looks like. Let me tell you how to find yourself. He then says, follow me. My friends, that's in the present imperative. Right now, and it's a command. If you call yourself a Christian, this isn't a choice. You've got denial. You've got taking up your cross. Follow. It's not an option. It's the way of being a disciple of the living God. Not like you were taught as a child, necessarily. And not what you think or rationalize as a disciple. But as a disciple, as the living God has revealed in his word to each and every one of us. In other words, do you want to find yourself? It doesn't come through your strength, through your accomplishments, how good-looking you are, how intelligent you are. 
It comes through how broken you are. Verse 25. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. It's like coming to the end of your works and all the things, the good stuff you do and saying, all right, Lord, I got it. I got it. I'm yours. I give up. I can't do it. He can use that. Taking my cross and dying to myself and following daily in my walk with Jesus Christ. Not perfectly. There are no perfect people here. But trusting, walking, striving, loving the Lord, loving his people, loving this community. And we can't do that on our own. It embodies that great hymn, Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. And we can't do it alone, as we talked about last week. We get plugged in. All our small groups are picking up. I want to encourage you to do life in, in one of those groups. They're all listed in your bulletin. Pray about it. And then Jesus explains why. Verse 26. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Talking to us about the value of our salvation. You see, we can stay where we are, right where we are, and be used right where we are, and follow Jesus. And as we do so, as we take up our cross, follow, deny ourselves, take up our cross, follow him, you find your affections warm to Jesus, and your affections change. The things that used to be important to me aren't important anymore. You can't buy this. This is the real McCoy. Young people, especially, I want to talk to you. This is for you old people, too. <laughs> but it's especially for our young people. You talk to any of our 90-year-olds. You talk to my mother. 90 years goes by like that. You don't want to look back on your life and say, I wasted it. I had really nice grass in my yard. <laughs> I'm into turf management, okay? I, that's called self-deprecating humor here, all right? I love mowing my grass. It still looks, yeah. Get this now. Jesus is the way of salvation. He has revealed himself. He loves these people, his church, as imperfect as we are. You need to love these people as your church and come back next week. Two, he's the way. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus with me. John Piper tells the story that he read in the 1998 edition of Reader's Digest of a couple who took early retirement from jobs in the Northeast. The husband was 59 and, and the woman was 51. 
and they retired to Punta Gorda, Florida, where they cruise in their 30-foot trawler, play softball, and collect shells. And that's their dream. They love it. They just go out there and hang around with their friends, and they cruise in their trawler, they play softball, and collect seashells. And they come to the end of their life. Their one and only precious God-given life. And to let the last great work of their lives before they appear before their creator be this. Collecting seashells. Playing softball. And cruising on their boat. Picture them before the great judgment seat of Christ. What do you have for me? I got some seashells. <laughs> it's not a sin to collect seashells, by the way. It's not a sin to have a boat. I had one parishioner going, I'm not selling my boat. <laughs> I'm not asking you to sell your boat. It's not a sin to retire to Punta Gorda, Florida. But what are you living for in Punta Gorda, Florida? What are you living for in Avon Lake, in Bay, in Avon, in Sheffield Lake, and beyond, and across the West Shore? Who and what are we living for? That's the point. That's a wasted life if that's our focus. That's an American tragedy. As opposed to Ruby Eliason and Laura Edwards. They were killed in West Africa and Cameroon. Ruby was 80 years old, single her entire life. She poured out her life for one great thing, to make Christ known to the poor and oppressed, unreached people of Cameroon. Laura was a widowed medical doctor. After her husband died and she hit her retirement, she went to labor alongside of Ruby, side by side, meeting the needs of the Cameroons, Cameroonites? How do you call people from Cameroon? Um, side by side, in unheralded service to the poor there, for the glory of Jesus Christ. Even two decades after most of their American counterparts had retired to throw away their lives, playing softball and cruising and collecting seashells, or baseballs, or soccer balls, or golf balls, or whatever thing we pour our lives out for. Hockey pucks. What are we living for? Was their death a tragedy when they went over the cliff when their brakes failed? At 80 and 78? Oh no. They found themselves. You don't have to go to Cameroon, okay? Don't misunderstand me to live for the glory of God right here, right now, is what he's calling us to. Even if I do own a set of ping golf clubs. <laughs> you can own a boat. I don't worship my boat. Don't worship my golf clubs. I don't worship my kids. Zach turns 26 today. Goes by like that. If we would trust in his atoning work and therefore go forth denying, taking up our cross and following Jesus, oh, what God could do with us in our day. That's living. 
That's finding myself. For to find myself, i got to give it away. And therefore, I do find. May that be our story henceforth. We reignited the call to each one of us reach another person for the kingdom within three years last January. How are we doing? Next week is kickoff Sunday. We've got all kinds of invitations scattered throughout. If you've given yours away, take a handful. We've got plenty of them. Because this is good news. You can't buy this outside of here. But it's free. And it's grace given to each and every one of you and our neighbors if we would just offer it to one another. May it be so. And let us lose our lives in this way. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the gift of your word which reminds us to, to, to get our foundation right. Last week in recognizing who you are, who your people are, and that the work that we do in the kingdom, even if it's along our vocation, is mightily used of you. Lord, I pray that if there's any of us who are still trying to earn our salvation, we would reject it and renounce it. That we would place our trust in you through the work of the cross, Jesus Christ. And that in so doing, we would find the life we're looking for. And we would live our lives denying ourselves, taking our cross up, dying to ourselves, and following you. Oh, not perfectly. But yet in you, Lord Jesus Christ, there is no condemnation. We thank you for that reality. And we pray, Lord, you would make us diligently ready at all times for your coming. For you are, and our salvation will be complete on that day. And until that day, may we live with this great joy so that you would shine through us, Lord. We can't do it in our own strength. We ask you to fill us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.